going to continue, actually we're going to end our series today on Ezra and Nehemiah. And so I don't know about you guys, if you liked it or not, I like Ezra and Nehemiah. These are like some of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, I, I really like Nehemiah more than Ezra, don't tell him I said that, but um, Nehemiah is way better. Great book of the Bible, and especially if you ever find yourself in a place of leadership, um, Nehemiah is an awesome book to read through um, the lens of leadership because the guy is incredible at what he does uh, leading people. So we're going to end that series today. Uh, Last week we talked about building walls in our life um, to help protect us and help give us boundaries, and today we're going to talk about uh, guarding the gates because it doesn't matter how many walls you have in your life. If you don't have any doors on the gates, uh, then people can just have total access, right? Uh, I had a friend of mine one time, and uh, he came to work one day, and he said, Man, you guys are never going to believe it. My car got broken into last night. They stole everything out of my car. And I was like, Really? And he was like, Yeah. And my other buddy was like, Did you have your doors locked? And he said, No, I never locked my doors. And I said, Well, then they didn't break into your car. They just opened the door and took all the stuff you invited them to take. Right? It wasn't a break-in, it was a walk-in. And, um, and sometimes in our life, we allow these open doors into our heart, into our lives, into our families, and then we get mad at, at God, or we get mad at the church, or we get mad at other people, because all of a sudden things are falling apart, and I don't know why people are acting like this, I don't know why my kids are doing this, I don't know why my wife or my husband is acting like this, but really the problem is us, we've left the door open and the enemy has access to whatever he wants. And so the, the, Bible talks about, um, the Bible talks about how the enemy wants to have access to you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Foothold doesn't mean much. If you've ever done any rock climbing before, you know if you've ever seen these guys that do rock climbing, all they need is just a little bitty crack in the wall. I watched a whole documentary one time about a, a guy that was climbing this massive mountain. And the whole time he was doing it, he had to do it with, uh, with nine and a half fingers, right? He was missing one of his fingers, and it was his index finger, which is sorry. like the... Could you, my stupid watch. My stupid watch said, sorry, I can't hear you, and I don't know how to put it on silent mode. And so I'm just as bad as Anna. I, don't, I know what a QR code is, but I don't know how to use a watch. So let's do this. Like, this is so much easier. Now you will obey me. And so, um, and now you will be here a long time. Um, and so anyway, so the guy's climbing this rock, and all he needs is just a little bitty, just a little portion of a rock, a little pebble sticking out, and he can grab on even without all of his fingers. And the Bible says don't give the enemy even that much of a, of a foothold into your life. And so it's, that's, that's super important. And so here's what I want to talk about today. Uh, let me give you just a couple of different access points that we need to think about. Like the Bible even says that the mouth, this, these are four examples. The Bible says that the mouth is an access point. The mouth is an access point. In Luke uh, 6, 45, Jesus says this, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. But an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So Jesus even says, your mouth is an access point to your heart. Like, like the things you say is an access point to, to your heart. How many of y'all have ever met someone that, that, that you just say, this person has no filter on what they say. Anybody know somebody like that? Anybody sitting by somebody like that? You don't want to raise your hand? You're like, <laughs> her. Um, and, and so sometimes our mouth is that access point, and whatever's on the inside is going to come out 
through the mouth. I'm probably one of those people. Um, the Bible also says, Jesus also says that the eye, the eye is an access point to the heart. Matthew 5, 28 says this, But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. So the mouth is an access point to the heart. The eyes are access points to the heart. The ears are access points to the heart. Um, our life is full of access points. And, and so we need to understand that we've got all these access points, but we also need to understand that the enemy wants access to that heart. And so looking back at our book, Nehemiah chapter 6, here's what it says, verses 1 and 2. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab. These guys are terrible. Like, these are the bad guys in the story, okay? We do not like Sanballat, Tobiah, or Geshem, the Arab. Not Geshem, the other... The other Geshem is fine, but not the Arab Geshem. And the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and it had no gaps. Though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message to me asking me um, to meet me at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Notice one of the things that he says. He says we got all the doors, I mean all the walls. We got no gaps in the walls. No leaks in the walls. The walls are solid, but we don't have doors. The one thing we don't have is doors. And as soon as the enemy notices that you don't have doors on the access to your heart, he will immediately want to try to gain access. And so what are the doors that we need to set up in our life? And so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to go through. So the Bible talks about um, Nehemiah builds the walls of Jerusalem, but it says that there were ten different gateways Ten different access points to the walls of Jerusalem, to the city. And so Nehemiah had to not only build the walls, but he also had to build the doors to stop the flow going in and out of the city, right? And you understand today this, too. Let me just mention this. A door, is, uh, a door can be a defense mechanism, right? If someone slams a door in your face, right, that's very defensive, but a door can also be very welcoming. If you open up the door and welcome someone in, it's a very welcoming sign. And so it's important that we have the right door. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go through the 10 different gates of the city. And we're going to talk about what is the door to that gate. Because these doors have to do with our life. So the first one is this. The first one is the sheep gate. Nehemiah 3.1 uh, is the sheep gate. Now the sheep gate is important because the sheep gate, the Bible talks about how uh, that's where they would bring in the lambs that were going to be sacrificed whenever they had to do sacrifices in the Old Testament. So the sheep gate was very important. And the Bible says this, Jesus says this in John 10, 27. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So the first gate has a door on it and that door is Jesus. The first access point to your life has to be, uh, has to be uh, blocked off or filtered through, the, through Jesus as the doorway. So in other words, if I'm going to watch a show or I'm going I'm to start a relationship with somebody, if I'm going to um, listen to something, if I'm going to do an activity, I need to filter it first through the door of Jesus. As a Christian, my sheep hear my voice and they do what? They follow me. Remember the old bracelets, the WWJD bracelets? Anybody old enough to remember those? I was looking at a website the other day for something and all of a sudden it popped up a WWJD bracelet. And I was like, man, I haven't seen that in forever. But, but the idea behind it was pretty cool until everybody started wearing them. And then you would see people out at these, um, you know, parties doing drugs. And they would be posted all over the news, um, these athletes. And it's like they've got their WWJD bracelet on. I'm pretty sure 
he wasn't at the strip club doing drugs, right? Like, I'm, I'm fairly positive that's not what he was doing. But they wore the bracelets anyway. It became a fad. But the idea was, what would Jesus do, right? And it was a reminder that whenever I want to do an action, I need to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? Whenever I put myself in a circumstance, I need to think, what would Jesus do if he were here in this moment? And today, honestly, the first filter that we need to have, the first doorway we need to have into our life is the doorway of Jesus. Jesus even said, I am the door. There's a verse in the Bible where he says, I'm the door, and, and not only do you come in through me, but you go out through me and find life, right? See, in the Old Testament, whenever they would bring sheep in through the sheep gate, they didn't go back out. Like, once you went in, you went in to die. You didn't get to go back out, but Jesus said, I take that on myself. I take the death penalty, and I am the door, and whatever comes through me gets to go back out and have life, but you got to go through me first. Guys, we need to start filtering our life through the eyes of Jesus. We need to start filtering our life through the doorway of Jesus Christ. If he's not first and foremost in our life, if he's not the first gate, if he's not the first entry point, then we've missed something along the way. Jesus has to always come first. The second gate was the fish gate. The fish gate represents uh, our purpose. It's the door of our purpose. And, and the Bible says this in Matthew four nineteen. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. In Matthew 23, 19 through 20, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The second doorway that we need to have is the doorway of our purpose. We are each and every one of us called to go fish for people. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, go to church. Right? He didn't say go sit in a comfy chair. He didn't say go sing a bunch of songs. He didn't say go listen to a pastor preach. He said go and make disciples. That everywhere we go, our goal is to go fishing. Right? Everywhere we go, our goal is to build the kingdom of God. And so here's the thing. Whenever I start wanting to allow something into my life, whenever there's something I want to watch or something I want to consume or a relationship I want to start, whenever I start allowing things into my life, one of the filter, first filter I need to filter it through is the filter of Jesus. Would Jesus want me to do this? Is this something that is helping me follow Christ? Or is this something that's hurting me from following Christ? But the second filter is going to be this. Is this going to help my witness or is this going to hurt my witness? Am I bringing people in or am I turning people away by my actions and my lifestyle? See, I have to think about this one a lot because sometimes this is probably one of the ones I make the biggest mistakes on. If, if I'm out in public and I say something stupid, if I do something stupid, I'm always thinking, man, I'm wondering what people that don't serve God think about this situation. We had, a, we had an issue. If, you're, um, if you ever find yourself being the son or the daughter of a pastor, your life gets exposed because the pastor's life gets exposed, and so your life gets exposed, and so G2's life is about to get exposed. But he knows it. Like, he gets it. My, I had it, too. I mean, I had it, too. My dad, my dad used to tell all of my stories. The problem was my dad would forget my name, and so he'd call me my brother's name, and that was awesome because then my brother got in trouble for all the stuff I did. 
but I know Gabriel's name because we share a name. And so, um, and so the other day we're, we're at a basketball game and Gabriel's playing basketball and in the middle of the game he gets his emotions get up because he had just blocked this kid and it was awesome and it was great and he just, boom, just blocked this kid and they're coming back down the court and the kid's talking trash to him and I'm like, yeah, he got in that kid's head and, and, and so Gabriel's dribbling, I'm not necessarily a good coach, and so Gabriel's dribbling down the court and the guy's just chirping in his ear and I'm thinking how proud I am of my son because he just blocked this kid and he got in the kid's head and the kid's upset and the kid's like you get the ball when you get the ball see what happens and and so Gabriel gets the ball and as soon as he does the kid just gets in Gabriel's face and he's just all up in his grill and then all of a sudden you can see Gabriel's anger rise up and he didn't think about filtering anything through the door of Jesus he didn't think anything about filtering the door anything through the door of his witness And he proceeded to elbow the kid in the head. But he had the ball in his hand, so he thought it was okay. Guess who didn't think it was okay? The referee who gave him a double technical foul and kicked him out of the game. And then me and his coach. I'm trying to filter, 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 filter my thoughts, my words. After the game was over, we had a conversation relatively heated conversation but we had a conversation and one of the things we talked about is remembering who you represent and I said when people see you they don't just see you when they see you they see me because they know I'm a pastor they know we are Christians they know what church we go to and you're wearing the shirt of another church he's, he's playing basketball for first Baptist and so I'm like I don't care if you make them look bad but don't make us look bad and, and I said, you represent so many things to so many people. And when you do something like that, it's showing people something that's, that, that they don't need to see. It's hurting your witness. I said, now if you tried to talk to someone about Christ, if they were at this game, this is what they think about you and about me and about our church and about our family and about our God. You need to think about, you need to filter some of your actions, some of your words before you speak before you do something, before you go out and, 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 and do some things that you're going to regret, you need to think about what your witness is going to be. What are the people around you that don't know Christ, but you keep talking about Jesus because you keep sharing the sermons from Sunday morning and you keep posting that you went to this church or that church and you keep throwing up scriptures of the day, but then whenever they see you out in public, when they see you at work, when they see the way you treat your spouse... What kind of witness are we showing them? See, our purpose is to reach the lost. Our purpose isn't to feel good. Our purpose is to fish, to catch as many fish as we can possibly catch. We're not going to catch many fish if we're not filtering our life through the purpose that God has given us. So Jesus is the first door. The second door is our purpose at the fish gate. Then there's another gate called the old gate. The old gate. This isn't mean for old people only. This was an old gate, right? This is an old gate. And, and here's the thing about the old gate. The old gate is built with doors called wisdom. Can I tell you something this morning? We need lots and lots of wisdom. I need lots and lots of wisdom in my life. And here's the thing about the old gate. Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. This is such a cool verse. Such a cool verse. I love this verse because it's so telling of exactly where we are in our society today. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path 
and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. Jeremiah says that he's speaking for God and he says, he says, God wants you to listen to the old ways. There's an ancient path that's been walked before. And if you will just learn to walk in the ancient path, it's not saying that God's not going to do something new. The Bible does say that. It's not saying that God doesn't make us brand new. The Bible does say that. But there is a path of wisdom that's already been walked. And sometimes what we say is we say, I don't want that old fuddy-duddy path, right? Yes, I use fuddy-duddy. I walk the old path. There's this place of wisdom that we got to get ourselves into. There's a, there's a road that we got to find. And not everything that's new is good. Not everything that's new is good, man. There's some, there's some things in life that we got to get a hold of that's a place of wisdom that we need to get back to. There's an old, ancient path that we need to travel. And it's important for us to have that. How do I find wisdom? How do I find this, this doorway of wisdom? I need to filter that through some people in my life. Listen, you and I, we all need mentors in our life. We all got to have people in our life that we can respect and we can look up to and can give us some godly wisdom. And we need to give those people access to our hearts. I was listening to this guy talk and he was, he was talking about how he's building these habits in his life. And he said one habit he built is to meet with a mentor once a month. And he said the funny thing is the mentor usually doesn't know they're my mentor. He said I just meet with them because they're wiser than me. They're more experienced than me. And he said I just glean everything I can from that person. We've got to have mentors in our life. That's why we talk about small groups. That's why Bobby and Michelle lead a, a small group ministry in here is to hopefully pair you up with some people that can be mentors to you, pair you up with some people that have walked an old path, pair you up with some people that can speak into your life and say, listen, what you're doing is dumb. Like, you can't do that. Or to look at your life and say, listen, you're doing a great thing. Let me encourage you in what you're doing. we got to have people like that. But today, we're so driven by our feelings, we don't want anybody to tell us that what we're doing is wrong. And so we don't want the door of wisdom, right? We don't want this door because we want to, we like the door of wisdom when we're the ones opening it up and telling people what to do. But we don't like the door of wisdom whenever we're having other people come in and talk to us. But we got to have the door of wisdom in our life. The, third, or the fourth gate is the valley gate. The valley gate is all about trouble, right? In the Bible, when we read about valleys and mountains, the mountaintops tend to be the places of blessing, the places where we meet God. The valleys tend to be the places where we find trouble. And so it's important for you to understand something today. The Bible says that you will have trouble in this life. You can't avoid it. There's going to be times in your life when you're going to have trouble and, and the way Jerusalem sits, it sits up high. And so to go out the valley gate takes you down into a valley. It takes you down into a place of trouble. It takes you down into a place of shadows. And we're going to have those times in our life. We sang about it this morning. We're all going to have times whenever we go through some hard times. But the door that we need to set up as a filter is the door of our response to those troubles. Not our reaction to troubles. Reaction and response are very, very different words. I react just out of habit. I react just out of muscle memory. I react just out of emotion and fear. But I respond to trouble. My response to trouble is something that's thoughtful and calculated. 
And I want, you to, I want you to hear a couple of verses here that I think are important to us today. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way. Notice he didn't say if, he said when, because there are always going to be troubles coming your way. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for complaints. No. Consider it an opportunity to gossip. No. Consider it an opportunity to quit and give up. No. Consider an opportunity to get mad at God. No. Consider an opportunity for great joy. I'm like, James, are you crazy? Great joy? You got to understand that James was murdered for the gospel, though. It's like he understood the concept. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So the filter that I've got to have is, look, look there's going to be times, plenty of times in life, I'm going to walk through the door of trouble, right? I'm going to walk through the valley gate. It's about how I walk back in, though, that's important. It's not about how I go out, because I'm going to go out. I'm going to hit the valley. I'm going to have a bad time. It's about how I walk back through that gate, and how am I going to filter? What are the things I'm going to bring back with me through that gate? Am I going to bring back bitterness and pain and resentment? Am I going to bring back jealousy? Am I going to bring back hatred? Am I going to bring back envy? What am I going to bring back with me through that gate? Or am I going to slam the door on all those things and open up the door for joy? Open up the door for endurance. Open up the door for perfection. Open up the door for faith. And so we all face trouble when we go out into the valley. But it's about how we come back in that matters. Psalm 23, 4 says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, some versions say through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. David understood this idea that, that I'm going to go through trouble, but it's all about how I respond to the trouble that I go through. And some of us get hung up at this door. This is, I kind of want to hang out here for a second because I've talked to people and and I've heard people say that they're so angry at God for something that happened. So mad at God because of something that happened. And what they've done is they've reacted. They've reacted to trouble. Yeah, but Gabriel, you don't know what I've been through. Listen, we've all been through stuff. We've all been through stuff. And we're all going to go through stuff. We're all going to suffer loss. We're all going to suffer pain. We're all going to suffer abuse at somebody's hand. But the, the idea here is, what am I coming back in with? There's been times in my life where I was hurt or I was broken. There's been times in my life where I was in a valley. And, and, and I could have taken that, those times because I know other people just like me that, that were hurt in the ministry. They were hurt in church. And they, they, for them, they, they gathered up all the bitterness and all the anger and, and all, the, all, all the hatred for church and all the hatred for pastors because they were hurt in church. And for me, I went through very similar things. Some, some guys went through some of the same stuff I went through. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just giving you an idea of how I dealt with it. So whenever I was hurt at a church one time, here's what I did. I struggled for a while with bitterness. I struggled for a while with unforgiveness. But all of a sudden, my wife said, listen, you got to learn how to, how to forgive. you got to learn how to move on. And once I learned how to forgive, and once I learned how to filter through the door 
right, through the valley door, once I learned how to filter out my emotions and find what the Bible really said, and the Bible says that you've got to love and you've got to forgive, all of a sudden I begin to love the church and I loved ministry. And yes, there are some bad things. Yes, there, there may be some bad people in, in certain aspects of it. But listen, at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And my thought was I've got to get back to what I love and I've got to pursue what I love. And I can't live in bitterness and anger for the rest of my life. The fifth gate, fifth gate's a gross gate. The fifth gate is the dung gate. The dung gate. The dung gate's an important gate, though, because here's the thing. Without trying to be gross or crude, you know what dung is, right? Some of you are looking at me like, what's he talking about? You don't want me to say it. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Dung, right, it builds up. Dung will continue to build up unless it has a way to be relieved, right? I know I'm being gross. I'm not trying to be, like those of you that know me really well, you know he is trying very, very hard. He is filtering a lot right now, and I am. So in a city where you've got a lot of animals and, and different, different things happening, and then people, right? They didn't have a sewage system back in those days. There had to be a way to relieve all of that dung and get it out of the city. Right? There had to be a way to do that. And so they created the dung gate, and that was a place where they took all of their mess and took it out of the city. Listen, you know what you and I need? We need a dung gate. Right? We need a place where we can get rid of all of the junk in our life. We need a place where when we have sin, or we have bad attitudes, or, or, or we have what Jesus said, we've looked at a woman with lust, right? We, we've, we've said something we know we shouldn't have said. Instead of bottling all of that up and trying to hold on to it, David said, David said whenever I tried to hold on to my sin, I, I, I felt like I was withering away and dying in my bed. But whenever I learned how to confess, I found joy in life and peace. There's something about just getting this stuff out. Have you ever had one of those moments where you felt like you had to throw up, right? You ever felt like that? I was on a mission trip one time, and I was in Mexico, and, and I had eaten some eggs for breakfast. And it was one of those moments, like whenever you eat the eggs, that you almost immediately know those were bad eggs, right? Like as soon as those eggs hit my stomach, I was like, something's not right. Something's not right. And I remember fighting through it. I was like, you're okay. You're going to be all right. You're not going to throw up. You're okay. And I just kept holding on to it and holding on to it. And I just kept getting worse and worse. And then you start getting that, that, that feeling in your jaws and you begin to sweat. And finally I just went, I just got to go to the bathroom. And I went to the restroom and I threw up. And whenever I threw up, I just felt so much better. Like all of a sudden I was so relieved. And the whole rest of the day was an awesome day. I wasn't sick. I was good. I just had something inside of me that did not belong inside of me. I had something inside of me that was rotten, something inside of me that was bad. And as soon as I could get that something out, I felt so much relief. Sin is the same way in our hearts. And we've got to have a place. We've got to have a gate. We've got to have a door that we can allow sin out of our life. We've got to have some people in our lives that we can confess to. Those doorways are doorways of Confession and repentance. The Bible says in John, 1 John 1, 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, talking about God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. James 5, 16 says, 
if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, that we can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and produces wonderful results. In other words, if I pray to God and ask for forgiveness, if I confess to God all of my sins, that he will forgive me. And then if I find a person that can also be that doorway for me, that I can confess my sins to that person, I'm going to find some relief. So confession is the, is the door that opens to release all the dungate out into wherever it goes, the trash heap. But then that door also has to close. Because here's the thing. If you leave the door open, you leave access for the dung to get back in. Have you ever been at someone's house and you go to flush the toilet and instead of the water going down, it comes up? It's a terrible feeling. If it's at your house, it's bad. But if you're at someone else's house, if you're at a girlfriend's house or a boyfriend's house, if you're at an in-law's house, right? I'm trying to think. You went to your boss's house for dinner and you flushed the toilet and it came up. It's a bad feeling. So not only do we have to have a place of confession where I get the stuff out, then we've got to be able to slam the door so it doesn't come back in. And that slamming of the door is called repentance. Acts 3, 19 through 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. There's a lot of talk right now about, about preachers that, that only preach. If you just pray a prayer, then you're okay. Listen, the idea is this. It's not just about praying a prayer. We do have to pray. That, the Bible says we confess to God that, that he is our Lord and our Savior. We confess that we're sinners. But there's a place called repentance that is so vital to your salvation. Repentance is a place where I, I learn to stop doing what I'm doing and I have to turn and go towards God. I, I, there, there's got to be some transformation and some change if I'm going to get saved. If I'm going to be a Christian, I can't just live my life like I always have. What that's doing is that's called opening the dung gate and leaving it open. Yes, you confess, and that's great, and we're super proud of you. But if you leave it open, the flies will continue to get back in. You've got to close those doors, and that's called repentance. And repentance shouldn't be a bad thing. Repentance should be a good thing. Repentance should be something we do on a regular basis. Anytime God shows us something, it's like a, I always like this illustration, it's like a GPS, right? It's like a GPS, if you're following a GPS and you turn off too soon and you go the wrong direction on a GPS, what does a GPS do? Recalculating, right? It gets you back on the right path. That's all repentance is. It is, I have stepped off of the path I should be on and I must now recalculate to get back. I've got to turn and go a different direction to get back on the path that God wants me on. The sixth gate is this. It's the fountain gate. It's the fountain gate. The door here is the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit has to become one of the major filters in your life. He has to be a major filter in your life. He has to be a door that blocks stuff out and allows stuff in or out. Here's, the, here's what the Bible says in John 7, 38 and 39. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. This is Jesus talking. For the Spirit declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. 
Galatians 5.25 says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Notice he doesn't say in church. Notice he doesn't say in spiritual things. He says follow the Spirit's lead in every part of our life. Whether that means we're at work, or we're at the grocery store, or at the gym, or we're at home, or we're at our grandma's house, we gotta, if we're at school, we got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit everywhere we are. What does that mean? That means I'm listening to the Holy Spirit whenever, whenever I'm confronted with the opportunity to do something I probably shouldn't do. I need to listen to what the Spirit says. When the Spirit says no, I need to slam that door. When, I, when I'm presented with an opportunity to do something awesome and do something great and speak into someone's life, I need to listen to the Spirit and I need to open that door. I need to follow the Spirit's lead in every part of my life. I tell people this a lot. I remember there was a TV show. Uh, this is an old... We, we do this a lot now. We, we filter a lot of our TV shows. Like, so there's, we're always getting suggestions from people about shows we should watch or, or whatever. And so, so we go to watch these shows. And, and my wife and I have just learned over the years how to be very sensitive to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us about what we allow in our eyes and in our ears and even into our home. So we're very sensitive. So there was times uh, my kids were watching shows on TV and I would just, I would just all of a sudden I'd pick up on something. I'd say, no, 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 we're not watching that. We're not watching that. You can't. You can't watch this show anymore. And I'm sure my kids hated it and they would get mad at me and they would just, especially Colt, my youngest man, he's always texting me from, he, my, my youngest son lives with my parents more than he lives with me, not by my choice, by his. And so, um, and so he was at their house this weekend and he immediately texts me. He says, dad, can I watch such and such a movie if I watch it on VidAngel, which is already a filtered app that filters out movies. And I was like, absolutely not, because there's some themes in that movie that I tried to watch it, and I realized right off the bat, Holy Spirit said, this isn't good for you or your family. And so I said, no, 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 we can't watch that show. Even if it's filtered, you can't watch that show. This is important, especially you guys. So we're talking about marriage on Wednesday. Um, but even those of you that are married and you've got little kids, let me tell you something. You better be listening to the Holy Spirit about what you allow in your house. We start allowing anything because we say, I'm good with it. I can handle that. But your kids can't handle it. Your kids don't know. I share this story every so often. Um, but when I was a little kid, my parents didn't know. They didn't have, we didn't have filters on our TVs when, I lived in, when we lived in Guatemala. And when we lived in Guatemala, I don't even know how we got cable in Guatemala. Because uh, I, I think we were like snaking it off of somebody else's satellite or something. I have no idea how all that worked. I was a little kid. But I remember we had a pay-per-view channel. Um, and you know what comes on pay-per-view. Anything and everything comes on pay-per-view. And I remember we had a pay-per-view channel that, that did not require money or a code. You could just turn on the pay-per-view channel, and it might would show the same movie three times in a row, but you could watch that same movie three times in a row. And they didn't care if it was 12 o'clock in the afternoon or 12 o'clock midnight. They were going to show whatever movie they wanted to show. And some of those movies were not acceptable for an eight-year-old kid. When I was six years old, I say, I say this all the time, and I don't say this to, to talk about my past. I say this as a warning for parents. When I was six years old was the first time I was exposed to pornography on TV. My parents had no idea what was going on. They didn't know what was happening, but that was the first time I saw something at six years old. And I can tell you to this day what I saw. The devil doesn't play fair. And if you give him access, even to a kid... 
he will take that access. You've got to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to help you filter everything that comes in and out of your house. Everything that comes in and out of your heart and your life. You want a good marriage? Stop watching TV shows and movies about adultery. That'll help your marriage. You want a good marriage? You want to be a good wife? Stop watching TV shows about all the single women going out and partying and doing stuff. That's, that's not going to help you build a good life with your husband. You've got to filter and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. He, you've been identified as God's. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with your lifestyle. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by what you allow in and out of your life. Think about what you say. Think about what you do. Think about your attitude towards your kids. There have been plenty of times I've gotten very upset at my kids and I wanted to yell. Maybe times when I did and I had to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and say, hey man, what you're doing is wrong. Then I had to go through the, the dung gate and tell my wife, hey, I'm confessing that what I did was wrong. And then I had to go through the, through, through the next gate of, of talking to my kids and, and confessing to them and saying, hey, what dad did was wrong. Please forgive me. You've got to think about these things. These gates are super important. We're almost done. The number seven is the water gate. Not like water gate, like Richard Nixon, but the water gate. And this door, the door in the water gate is the door of God's word. Filter everything through God's word. I can't tell you how important God's word is. And it's so cool that you guys are starting, starting to read your Bible. I get, I get people texting me and calling me all the time, emailing me all the time. Hey, tell me what app you're using. Tell me what Bible reading plan you use. Tell me what version you use. Uh, hey, I've started reading the Bible. I've read for five days straight. I've read this many chapters. I mean, I'm getting this stuff all the time. And it's so awesome. And I'm super proud of you guys for doing that. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible if the Bible doesn't change you. It's just a book, Right? So the Bible, how does the Bible change me? I use the Bible as a filter. And so whenever I want to do something, see something, act away, talk away, if I want to be somebody, I want to look through the Bible and see what does the Bible really say about this? And if you don't know what the Bible says about it, that does not give you permission to do it. That gives you permission to research it. You can ask me and I'll help you, but we can research stuff. I've had people ask me all the time. I had a lady one time uh, that used to go to church here uh, before she moved. And she said, Gabriel, she said, I really struggle with cigarettes. She said, I smoke all the time. And I've tried to quit a thousand times and I just can't quit smoking cigarettes. And she said, and, and, and the, someone told me that I was going to go to hell for smoking cigarettes. She said, what do you think? And I said, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Bible says. And the Bible says cigarettes are, no, the Bible doesn't say anything about cigarettes. Cigarettes aren't in the Bible, right? Smoke them if you got them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that either. <laughs> so what I did was I said, let's just look at the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't talk about cigarettes. So let's see what's the root cause here. What's the issue? The issue isn't the cigarette. The issue is the addiction. And I said, I said, you can be addicted to a lot of things. Addiction is the problem because the Bible says we can't serve two masters. We've got to serve one or serve the other. You can't have two gods. You only have one God. And if addiction is your God, that's the problem. And so whenever we started dealing not with the cigarette, but we started dealing with the addiction, it changed the game a little bit because the filter was different. The filter is now through God's word, not through what someone told her. It's about what does God word, God's word say to us. And so um, as a matter of fact, in, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 
uh, they read the Bible to the people at the Watergate. I thought that was really cool. First um, Peter 1.23, I'm going to have to hurry through some of these. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. Why? Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. First Peter uh, 2, 2 through 3, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment that you, um, that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. In other words, he's saying crave the word of God. Let the word of God be something that you consume on a regular basis and let it filter out the actions that you do. And if you need help reading your Bible, please come find me. I want to help you in whatever way I can. The eighth one is the horse gate. The horse gate doesn't sound as cool as some of these other ones, but it is pretty cool. The horse gate is the gate where they would get all the horses together, duh, right, to go fight a battle. So we're going to go fight a battle. We've got to get our chariots. We've got to get our horses. We've got to get all that stuff together. Where are we going to do that? We're going to do that at the horse gate because that's where the stables are. It just makes a lot of sense. And so they get the horses prepped for battle. So the horse gate really represented war. If you see a bunch of horses lining up in the horse gate, we're about to go kill somebody, right? Like, battle is about to happen. And so, so here's what the Bible says about battle and about warfare. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, and 18, it says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul tells us here, he says, Listen, you keep wanting to fight against people, but people aren't the problem. There's always a spirit behind the person. There's always a spirit behind the problem influencing the issue. So whenever we come up for election time, we'll always say this from the pulpit because people will get mad that I don't like this candidate and I don't like that candidate and if you like this candidate, you're of the devil and that candidate, blah, 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 blah. And they go back and forth about the candidates. And I always tell them, listen, it's not a matter of the candidates. It's not a matter of what you see on the news. There is a spiritual reality that influences everything. And you and I need to know that. I'm not saying there's a devil behind every bush. I'm not saying that your wife has a devil in her, right? You may think she does sometimes, but she doesn't. What I am saying is this. There are spiritual influences, and when we put our focus on people and things and not on the spirit, then we don't know how to deal with it. So how do I deal with something that's spiritual that I can't see? How do I fight a battle that I can't see? We sing about it today. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 18. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Another version says, any kind of prayer. Like, pray every prayer you know how to pray. Like, if you're facing a spiritual battle, you pray everything you got to pray. He says, stay alert and be present. Um, be persistent in all your prayers for all the believers everywhere. We have to have an outlet. We have to have a place for that prayer, for that spiritual warfare. So how do I fight a spiritual battle? I fight a spiritual battle through prayer and through worship. I don't remember who it was. It may have been Pastor Jonathan. Um, someone, someone showed me something this past week. I think it was Pastor Jonathan where, where someone said a study had been done that, that says you can't have, um, what was it? You can't have complaints and, you can't have anxiety and gratitude at the same time. 
Like, it wasn't like a spiritual study. It was like a legit study. And they said people who have anxiety when they change over to gratitude, when they start being gracious about stuff and start being thankful about stuff, that their anxiety begins to dissipate and vice versa. Like, you can't have those two things competing at the same time. There's something about my worship. When I begin to worship and I begin to tell God how great he is and I begin to thank him for all the wonderful things he's done in my life, it begins to do something in the spiritual that begins to defeat things like anxiety, fear, and doubt. So how do I fight? I fight by praying. I fight by worshiping. Listen, your kids, your family members, they're going to go through some stuff. And you better be praying for them, man. You better be praying for them. You dads out there, or even you single guys out there, that are saying, I want to be a spiritual father. I want to be a spiritual husband. I want to be the, the, the spiritual leader of my home. But let me tell you how to do that. You start with prayer. Become a man of prayer. Become a man that prays for your family. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. And you may say, I'm single. I don't have a spouse or kids. Pray for the ones that you will have one day. Pray for those around you. Like, be that spiritual leader wherever you are. But learn how to pray. Learn how to do battle in the spiritual. The last two gates, I'm going to jam them together because I feel like they go well together. It's the east gate and the inspection gate. In the, in the, just to tell you what they are, the east gate uh, represents where Christ, uh, the Bible says... Um, will come back. In the, in the prophecies of Christ returning to earth, it says he'll come down and come back through the east gate. As a matter of fact, um, I saw this in some old notes of mine, that there was this, there was this old um, ruler uh, when, when the Muslims took over Israel, one of their kings or, or whatever, Suleiman, I think was his name, he, uh, he understood the scriptures about Jesus and was so worried that Jesus would come back through the east gate that he had it walled up. He had it walled up. So it's all blocked up. Because even, even someone that wasn't a believer believed, right? And so the east gate represents where Christ comes back at the end. The inspection gate was where, when the inspection gate was built, David was king. And that's where David would inspect his army. So they had the horse gate to prep the horses, but they had the inspection gate to, to, um, to inspect all the foot soldiers. And so they would all line up in the inspection gate, and David would inspect them to make sure they were what? Prepared for battle. So here's a couple of things I just want you to know. They're, they're looking at snakes upstairs 100%. They're all screaming. I love it. It's so awesome. So here's a couple of things. I want to say this, and then we're going we're gonna to shut down because this is almost the very end. Here, I, I need you to see this. The East Gate represents Christ coming back, which represents our hope. It represents our eternity. The Inspection Gate represents our preparation and examination. So here's the thing. Is what I'm allowing in and out of my life is it preparing me for my future? Is it preparing me for my hope? Am, am I preparing? Is the way I talk to my kids, the way I love my kids, the, the way I treat my kids, am I preparing my children for their future hope? You know, there's some people that look at the return of Christ whenever I was younger and, 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 and I didn't know any better. I was so scared. Um, if you grew up in a church that talked about the rapture, anybody know what the rapture is, right? Some of y'all do something, you, y'all like, Bleh. So the Bible talks about the raptures whenever, whenever um, all the Christians on earth go to heaven in, in one moment. And, and preachers used to get up and they would preach and they'd say, the rapture could happen in any second. And if you're not ready, you're going to be left behind. And I would have nightmares of being left behind. Like I remember this one nightmare I had where the rapture was happening and everybody's going up to heaven. And I started going up to heaven. And I was like, yes, I'm making it. And then I started going back down. And I was like, oh no, I didn't make it. 
I went to school one night for a club meeting, and when I was at school, um, my parents were out of town, and, the, and, and my dad's uh, secretary was staying with me at my house because I was only a freshman, and I, didn't have, I couldn't drive yet. And, and, and so um, while I was at school, I got out of the club meeting at like, I was there at 6 o'clock, and then it was done by like 7 o'clock, and I'd go out, and she's not there to pick me up. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. 8 o'clock rolls around, she's still not there to pick me up, and, and then they start turning off the the lights, and it's just the janitor at the school, and I, I said, hey, Mr. Janitor, will you let me in? Can I use the phone to call my house? And so I call my house, and it's just a busy signal, just or not busy signal, just just, uh, just ringing and ringing and ringing, and never, never answered, and I was like, oh, no. So I hang up the phone, and I go back outside, and then the janitor was like, peace, I'm out. And so the janitor literally left a freshman in high school sitting on the front steps of, of Auburn High School. Uh, a public high school, I'm sitting on the front steps, he turns off all the lights in the building and leaves. And I'm just sitting there. Y'all are like, oh. And Anna's laughing, because she knows the story. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm so discouraged, I'm so scared. And there was a, some tennis courts across the way, and they had late night tennis. And I ran over to the tennis courts, because I thought, surely they're going to have the news on on the TV in there, and the news is going to say, millions of people missing in a, in a vanish, and, and then I, and I go over there, and I can't see anything, and, and I'm like, this is it, and so I start running home, I'm like, I'm going to run, I live like three or four miles from the school, I'm like, I'm going to run to my house, and, and as I'm running to the house, I'm thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to do, I don't have a key to my house, I, don't, I didn't have a key to my house, why didn't I have a key to my house, and I didn't have a key to my house, and I'm like, I'm going to break in through the window, and then I'm going to have to patch that up, and so I'm going to break in through the window, and I'm going to go in the house, and I know where my dad's guns are, and um, maybe he left a credit card, maybe there's some cash somewhere, and I'm going to have to just survive in the house when everybody comes for me, and I've got all the doomsday scenario in my head of how it's going to work, and I'm literally running um, to my house, and all of a sudden I see my parents' car driving past, and as the car drives past, it just, the brakes hit, and you hear, and the car almost wrecks, and my dad's secretary gets out of the car, and she's just weeping and crying, and she's like, please don't tell your dad, he's going to fire me, and I was like, what were you doing? I was really mad, then I was totally in the flesh, no spirit whatsoever, and she had, back in those days, uh, kids, um, we didn't have cell phones, and so we had these things, and they were called house phones, (laughs) and the thing is, if you didn't hang that house phone up all the way, it just acted like the phone was busy, and so it didn't matter how many times you called. No one would hear the phone. It wouldn't ring. And so she was just sitting in the house, just chilling. And all of a sudden, she looked at her clock, and it was like nine-something. And she was like, my boss's son is out in the middle of the city um, alone, and I'm going to get fired. And she did. Just kidding. She didn't. She didn't. She didn't. Not then. I mean, probably later, but not then. Um, so here's the thing. How are we looking? How are we looking towards the end? Like, are, are we looking at the end with hope? Or are we looking at the end with dread? That might help you filter some things through your life. That might be a good door to think about. Have you ever studied for a test? If you ever studied for a test, here's the thing that you'll notice: you you never did dread the test. Like, if you know you studied and you did your best. You knew, no, even if you didn't make an A, you're going to make a decent grade because I studied. Man, I worked hard, and whatever I make is what I earned, and, and it's going to be great. But have you ever not studied for a test? And you feel sick, right? You feel sick. Why? It's because you're not prepared. You're not prepared. So the gate of, of inspection is the gate of preparation. I need to have those times when I'm inspecting my life. 
Some of these other gates can fall into that. I, I check my life according to God's word. I check my life according to the old gate, the wisdom around me. I begin to ask people about my own life. I inspect my life to see, is everything right? Is everything right? Am I prepared like I should be? Let me end with this. Protect the gates. Nehemiah 7.3. And I said to them, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve as sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. Nehemiah recognized something, that the hottest part of the day was probably the worst part of the day, right? The hottest part of the day is when you're at your tiredest. The hottest part of the day is when, when, when you're the most fatigued. The hottest part of the day is whenever you're at your lowest level. Like you're tired of working and you've been down in the heat and you're thirsty and you're hungry. And, and he said, listen, during the worst part of your day is when you need to protect your gates even most. Can I tell you something today? It's good for you to have these gates. It's good for you to have these doorways to help filter out your life. Be careful during the hottest part of your day. When you're coming off a long shift and you're tired, we've got firemen and cops in the room today. When you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. We've got people in here that do counseling and other pastors. And whenever you've been dumped on all day by everybody and you're listening to everybody's problems, you're working in the medical field and you've seen everybody's hurts and pains and and it's the hottest part of your day, be careful with your gates. That's when the enemy really wants to get in. When you're tired, I don't know about you, but that's the biggest time of struggle. But here's the thing, if you'll be careful about your gates, here's the promise that we get. Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished and the gates too. He just didn't say that. Just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Today we want to open up the, the horse gate, right? We want to open the horse gate and have some prayer time. I want to pray for you today. And although I, I believe in and laying hands and making contact. And we can do that also. I also believe in just receiving prayer. And there's some of us today, you just need to receive prayer. Like you just need God to do something in your life today. There's some of us today, we're looking at our life and we're looking at our walls and we're looking at our gates and we're like, man, I got some gates that have some jacked up doors in them. I've let so much stuff get into my family. I've let so much stuff get into my life. I've let so much stuff get into my heart. And, and I'm, just, I'm just struggling today to keep stuff out. There may be some of you today that you just know, man, that it's not about what you let in. It's about what's coming out. And you're just like, I do so much. I say so much. I think so many thoughts that I know I shouldn't think, say, or do. Man, I got to get some control over my gates. Why don't you just bow your heads with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. The Bible talks about a fountain gate, and we just read where Jesus said that the fountain that's inside of us is the fountain of the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water. The Bible says that you can lead and guide our lives, Holy Spirit, that you will lead us in all truth. And, and so today, we just, we just walk through the fountain gate, and we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill this room and, and touch our hearts and our lives right now. 
God, we walk through the inspection gate today, and we just ask you today to inspect us like King David would have inspected the soldiers. God, today we ask you, King Jesus, inspect our lives. Let your Holy Spirit look into my heart today and see, is there anything in me that's wrong? Is there anything in me that needs to change? Is there anything in me that you need to work on to prepare me for my future? To prepare me to go through the fish gate and win the lost and tell people about you. To help me to follow your voice at the sheep gate where I can hear you calling me and I want to follow you and do all that you've asked me to do. There may be some doors in your life that are broken down today and you need some repair. If you're in the room today and you say, Gabriel, I need some repair. I got some areas of my life that are broken, that are messed up. If that's you today, I'm not even looking around, but I feel like there's something powerful about just saying that, that it's me. There's something powerful about raising your hand and showing God. We talked about the confession, about the dumb gate, that there's a place where we confess. And there's something powerful about acknowledging even to myself and to God alone that, yeah, I got some issues. Yeah, I got some problems. Yeah, there's some areas in my life that are pretty jacked up. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. Slip your hand up right now. I've got my hand up. I know there's areas in my life that, that I'm always needing God to work on. And maybe today your problem is not all the gates. Maybe your problem is the first gate, the sheep gate. Maybe you're not following Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray right now. Prayer isn't magical. Prayer isn't some kind of special words that you have to hit at the right time. It's not about repeating after me. Prayer is you talking to God just like you would talk to me. And I want you right now just to begin to talk to God. And you begin to ask God to forgive you. And begin to ask God to change you. And you begin to ask God, say, God, I confess that I am a sinner, man. I've got some stuff wrong, but I want to follow Jesus Christ. It's about walking through that dung gate and saying, I'm going to get a bunch of stuff out of my life. But at the same time, I'm going to slam the door on it. It's not coming back. I want to repent today. So, Jesus, we claim today that you are the Lord of our lives. We ask you to forgive us of all of our sins. But today, also, we want to repent. We want to quit doing these things that we've been doing. We want to slam the door on some activity in our life, on some thoughts in our life, on some attitudes in our life. God, we want to slam the door on that. And we want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us every step of the way. I pray that this week you will walk with the knowledge of the gates in your life. I pray for you this week that you'll be reminded of the different doors that you need to shore up in your life, the different filters that we need to have, that, that we're, we're paying attention to who has access and who does not have access to our life. What we listen to, what we meditate on, what we watch, what we talk about, God, I pray today that you would help each and every one of us to filter those things through the different doors and gates that you've shown us today in your word. We ask that today in Jesus' name.